Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. It is the first episode of 2024. I am back with my brother and co-host, Ethan. How's it going? And it's been quite a while since you last heard from us. Wanted to do a big festive fixture roundup as the games come pretty thick and fast. It's tough to find a real good breaking point to, to slip some commentary in because... As, as we're editing, as as we're recording and editing, there's like active games going on. So it becomes this like very awkward time to like record because as we're recording, things are changing. Managers are changing hands. Transfers are coming in. Obviously, it's January now. So figured, ah, screw it. We'll wait until the end and we'll go over the whole thing. And there are a lot of teams that were, went into the festive, festive fixture period enunciated playing well form dipped and vice versa and the way we're going to go over content today is just tier list style because who doesn't love a good tier list and the tier list the the basis for the tier list is essentially relative form in the festive fixtures do they have a good festive fixture if so s a do they have a poor festive fixture period d f and so on i think you get the gist but before we get into that coverage. Let's get some transfers in there because this is January transfer window. Fabrizio has been off his ass since <laughs> the turn of the new year. Uh, what do we got so far? Uh, yeah, so not too much. It is only the first week of January. But we do have a bit of a signing that's coming out of nowhere, which is that Timo Werner is signed on loan for Spurs till the end of yeah. the season. Um, and it's just a bit surprising because... It hasn't been like, obviously we know that Werner didn't really work out at Chelsea and then went back to uh, RB Leipzig. And you kind of expected that he'd probably rediscover his form that he had at Leipzig before making that big move to Chelsea. And that really just hasn't happened. He has never reached the peaks that he did before he went to Chelsea. This season, he's only played in eight games and started two for just a total of 204 minutes. So it's not like he has been really impressing for Leipzig this season. Um, but clearly, Postacoglu sees something there. Uh, and since Postacoglu's gotten Richarlison scoring, yeah, anything is possible at this point. Uh, this signing is probably, not going to say a replacement for Son, but probably just a bit of reinforcements with that departure in mind certainly yes yes certainly with son being gone for the month at the asian cup uh because son i mean has been playing in more of a nine role in this postcoglu team well he had to there's no mm-hmm. game yeah but timo ver can also play off the wing so mm-hmm. we'll see how he's utilized it will be very interesting to see if he can finally find his feet in england I think it's a fantastic signing. Like, really, really good signing. Um, obviously, the losing son, I think, I would say arguably the best player at Tottenham Hotspur, but honestly, I don't think, I think it's pretty consensus at this point. And after losing Madison and Van de Veen, I don't know when they're coming back, but they're not back in the squad yet. Losing son as well is bad. I know Richarlison's starting to score, but you basically don't have a striker until son comes back. And I think Werner's really good. I, Werner's form at Chelsea was a little bit underrated. I think 
obviously he missed a lot of chances, but the media played that up so much that it really made you think that he had a very poor stint at Chelsea, when in reality it was pretty average. You know, it wasn't, and coming from the way he performed at Leipzig, which was like, you know, I think he's the top scorer in the history of the, the club, young club, but, you know, he was still on fire at Leipzig when he came over for a lot of money. Well, decent amount of money. Um, and then he came and scored like 20 goals in 50 games. We, you'd think he should have scored maybe 40 with some of the chances he missed, and they were bad misses. It wasn't just for Chelsea. It was for Germany, too. It wasn't just a Chelsea thing. He just wasn't finishing the easy ones. But I think this is a really good signing. Eng uh, has shown that he can get really good quality out of players that had previously lost it. Exhibit Basuma, who dropped off the face of the earth when signing for Spurs, and now he's the heartbeat of their midfield. Um... It, it, I just think that it's fantastic that he's getting a second chance and I think he's going to be really good because he's also not going to be like coming off the bench and having to prove himself. He's going to slip right into the starting 11 because there's now space for him with Sun gone. So I think it's a perfect opportunity for him to play really well. Um, another piece of transfer news that you may have seen, Connor Gallagher is being looked at by Spurs as well. I think that's... Another really good signing. I've I've been noted on the pod to give praise to Connor Gallagher. I think he's been one of their best players, if not their best player this season. And I just another industrious midfielder for Ange Postecoglou to play this overbearing pressing high line. I don't want that to happen. As an Arsenal fan, I don't want to see Connor Gallagher go to Spurs because I think he's going to be really good for Spurs. Um. I think it'd be bad for Chelsea, too, because I think it's a little bit underrated how much he is doing for their midfield. Because Enzo, how great he is on the ball, he's fantastic on the ball, progressive passes, whatever. Not the best, not the most industrious, not the best defensively. Conor Gallagher kind of bandages that up in the midfield. Not fantastic, obviously, because they're 10th, but in as much as he can, I think that'll also be. I don't know if you heard about this one, but I think it'd be a great signing for Ange again. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen a lot of the, um, the Conor Gallagher rumors. And while I understand it to a certain extent, I mean, Chelsea, they have, obviously, Enzo Fernandez. They have Caicedo. They have Lavia, who everyone's forgotten about. But yeah. uh, he is working his way back into the team there. I can understand why, you know, they may be willing to offload Conor Gallagher. But I think if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'm just looking at the past 18 months and seeing just billions of pounds being spent on all of these yeah. new young players. And then seeing that one of our only one of their only homegrown players, Conor Gallagher, yeah. is being sold to a London rival. That For me, that just doesn't sit right if mm. I'm a Chelsea fan. So, personally, I don't think they should let him go, at least not right mm. now. Maybe you want to let him go t in the summer, maybe to a foreign club. I know it's kind of hard for English players. They're not really in demand mm. from the foreign leagues. But mm. I just think you kind of want to hold on to some of your homegrown players, especially right now with this Chelsea team, yeah. just having so much turnover and just seeming like very, you know, they seem very plastic. Like, you know, they're just yeah. like, it's just a team of cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And I, I've, I, who else would have, I mean, Reese James is there. It's homegrown. I guess technically Levi Colwell's homegrown, even though he did most of his, uh, 
how should I say, like, getting better? Why am I blanking on the development? word? Development? Getting better. <laughs> development, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Most of his development, not at Chelsea. Um, He's technically another homegrown player. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the English influence is still there with, like, Sterling and Palmer. But yeah, I... I, I just don't want to see him go to Spurs because I think he's going to be really good at Spurs. And with that, we are moving swiftly along to our festive fixtures tier list. We're going to go A, then B. Ethan can go first if he wants, then I'll go. Um, we're not going to do inter... Or, or do you want to do it? You want to do S tier, S tier, A tier, A tier? Yeah. Or do you want to go back and forth? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I like that. You can do that too. Always room for improvisation <laughs> on the Two Men Wall podcast. Um. All right. You want to start with the bottom or the top? We can we can start from the bottom. All right. We'll start from the bottom. F tier. Who is the first club that had an F tier window? Not window. Festive fixture period. So I have three teams actually in my F tier, and okay, I, I put go them through all three of them. Yeah, and I did put I'll them just, in order. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. we'll go okay. from best F tier to lowest F tier, <laughs> and my best team okay. in the F tier is Arsenal Football Club. Um, an absolutely disastrous festive fixture. Started off yeah. not bad with the draw uh, at Anfield. Not necessarily a convincing performance. A very yeah. sloppy performance all around. But in the end, they did manage to get a draw at Anfield, and that's never a bad result. And so mm-hmm. Arsenal, draw at Anfield, top of the league, and that all went to shit. A 2-0 <laughs> loss at home to West Ham. Uh, a performance that I think you could possibly take you know, some pauses from. Arsenal were on top the entire game. Created a lot of chances. Just couldn't finish. West Ham defended resiliently. Capitalized on pretty much only two chances. Although they did miss a consolation penalty at the end that wouldn't have meant anything. Mm-hmm. So... A tough loss, but Arsenal, I guess, could be happy with the fact that they dominated at home. But then they went to Craven Cottage for a performance that had absolutely no redeeming qualities. Taking the lead in the fifth minute through Saka, Arsenal were just completely and utterly dull afterwards. Fulham had a good equalizer and then a very scrappy... Uh, goal to take the lead from Dick Cordova Reed and Arsenal really just didn't threaten whatsoever and yeah. it capped off a very poor run of form they yeah. went from first to fourth now sitting five points off Liverpool at the top of the league and although it wasn't in the Premier League I think their FA Cup loss to Liverpool just compounded their misery and put their mm-hmm. full Goal scoring ineptitude on display for all to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to dwell on one team for too long. I also mm. have Arsenal in the F tier. Um, if we dwell on one team for too long, we're just never gonna get through this uh, tier list. But um, yeah, I think the one positive you could take from this period for Arsenal is that the problem is clear. There's a lot of teams in this league that are a struggling and b the problem is unclear. There's so either so many things wrong or so many just things that could be wrong that you don't even know where to start. With Arsenal, it's very clear. They're, they every, everything up until when the ball gets within 25 yards on the goal is fine. Title winning stuff. After that, that's how you lose football games. That's how you get four points from 12. Like that's, I mean, in every single game, including the Liverpool game, 
there was a clear opportunity to win it, and they didn't. Probably more than, maybe Liverpool was the only one where there was less than three opportunities. Everything else, there was five plus opportunities to win the game, and they did not. And that is horrendous, because there are teams, Villa, City, Liverpool, Tottenham, will get there once they get Madison back and Son back from the Asian Cup, who will finish their chances and will take those points, and it's right now Arsenal or not. Not to dwell. Who's your second F team? How many teams do you have in the F tier, by the way? Um, three in total, so two more. Me too. Go ahead. And I'll just do the next two back to back. Uh, they're yeah. Brentford and Newcastle. Uh, also, both of them also. lost all three games of their festive fixtures. Brentford actually are now with a five-game losing streak in the lead, or in the league. They choked against Villa at home. They were smashed by Wolves at home, and then outplayed by Palace away. Just really no goal threat in this team whatsoever. They are absolutely desperate for Ivan Tony, who mm. probably, I mean, I know there's a lot of rumors around Ivan two Tony, weeks? but yeah, I think like two weeks, something like that. He's 20. getting pretty close to return, but they desperately need him. And despite rumors that he may go somewhere, that's not going to happen in January, I don't think. So hopefully he can come back and continue his goal scoring run they left off on because they really need it. And then Newcastle yeah. were just awful. Uh, they lost to Luton away, which is never an easy fixture, but one that you should be getting at least a point out of, but really yeah. all three. And then an embarrassing 3-1 loss at home to Forest, And just to compile their misery, uh, it was courtesy of a hat-trick from their former striker, Chris Wood. And then they lost uh, at Anfield, which is to be expected. But three losses yeah. from three games. Yeah. Just piss poor from them. Not to mention the pretty shite e- EFL quarterfinal against Chelsea. Yeah. Um, which is also somewhere in that, in that period. Uh, yeah, they also just don't pass the eye test right now. They, uh, I also have in the F tier. I both Newcastle and Brentford. That's my F tier too. Um, but yeah, Brentford just pure garbage. Uh, need of something. Uh, managerial change. I, I don't think it's that. I think Thomas Frank has earned certainly uh, a shot to get him back out of this. Um, but yeah, they've just been terrible. And then Newcastle just like some kind of some uh, a, a switch has been flipped off there it just you can see they're not as ruthless as they once were even is that coming back hasn't really fixed that so yeah again something has to change whether that's a signing which god knows they have money and some time to do it in the window but something has to change good time for newcastle to be on poor form because january is a, t- a season of new beginnings d tier how many teams in the d tier uh, just two teams in the D tier from me. Okay, I have four, so you can do your two first, and then I'll go. All right, so the two teams in my D tier are, I'll start off with the better of the two, in my opinion, which is Sheffield mm-hmm. United. Um, just one point from three games for them, but it was an impressive point since that came away at Villa Park and ended Aston Villa's 15-game, mm-hmm. I believe, winning streak at home. Um, uh, oh. so that's a big positive for them, but other than that, it was very poor festive fixtures. They lost at home to Luton, which in a relegation battle is yeah, can't unacceptable if you want a chance at survival. So other than that one point at Villa, a very disappointing uh, festive fixtures for the team sitting at the bottom of the league. 
And then my second team in there is Everton. Um, they also lost three games from three, but I did put them, I snuck them into the D tier because all three of these were very difficult fixtures. They had Spurs away and and on fire Wolves away, uh, plus City at home, and they played pretty well against City and Spurs. So I feel like I should give them the benefit of the doubt, even though they didn't get a single point. So they're, you know, on the border of the F tier, but I'm sneaking them into yeah. the D tier. Yeah, that was that was pretty much my logic. I have Everton and Sheffield in the D tier. Sheffield, uh. For any other team, almost any other team, this would put them in F tier. But since they're so poor, yeah, that that draw against Villa was resilient, and they bumped themselves up to the D tier. Still need much more to take themselves out of the relegation zone, but it's you know, it's Sheffield. Everton, on the other hand, yeah, I they got zero points. Um, started off before that with even the EFL Cup quarterfinal loss on pens. So like. That also compiles, but yeah, it's it's those fixtures that maybe if you get a point out of it, you know, thumbs up. But yeah, they're out of the way now. Like we can, I I would expect a rebound performance from Everton. Though that was pretty much my logic exactly. Is that three losses but three tough games? What are you gonna do? And the other two in the D tier were Brighton and United. Brighton got five from a possible twelve. They're just really not clicking the the way they used to. Like I, it's. I, I still want to hold them to that standard because I know what they're capable of. And I think this is just below. Even with their players injured, they have a couple guys injured, but they're like Evan Ferguson has dropped off. They're really not getting goals from anywhere. Matoma, had, one dropped off and two is now in the Asian Cup. They're not even going to have them for a month. Uh, I don't know how far Japan are going to get, but they're usually pretty good. Um, but yeah, draw to, to West Ham and then the win against Tottenham is what bumps them up from an F, in my opinion. That win against Tottenham was like like old Brighton. That was pretty clinical. Um, and getting a stupid on back is huge for this team. I yeah, think absolutely. that will uh, propel them to some better form, at least. And then United, still trying to hold them to their at least decent standards. It's still a bad, bad window. Um, it was four points from 12, and the team just does not pass the eye test. Even when they were getting results, they don't pass the eye test. But then losing to, Fo- to Forrest, beating Villa at home, that was a... Cra- I watched that whole game start to finish. That was a pretty crazy game. That's very solid. And if not for that, they're probably an F. But the Liverpool performance before the festive... Technically before the festive period, I'm counting it, um, was good, honestly. I think in parts because Liverpool were off their game, but it was still good. Maybe this is a little bit harsh to put him in D, having gotten the Villa win and the Liverpool draw, um, but losing 2 nothing to West Ham. They're on good form, but you still got to put up a fight there. And then the Forest loss is not great either. Team doesn't look great. However, the pros are Garnacho is on fantastic form, and if you could figure out the other guys, Casemiro, <laughs> Veron, you know, anyway, like Onana, although he's gone now, actually, at, the, at uh, AFCON. Well, he's still actually he's gonna play in the uh, Spurs game this weekend, and then yeah. oh, he's doing and the then two play, games in twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah. His name's playing the next day for Cameroon, which I guess for a goalkeeper that's, is feasible. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you can do three games in three days. I did four, six games, almost six <laughs> games in three days. You can figure it yeah. out. Why aren't you um, playing the Prem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think this Garnacho form is very promising because their wingers this season, Rashford and uh, 
Anthony have been just horrendous. So any any kind of and Hoyland hasn't been fantastic either, but I'm giving the benefit of the doubt because he's not getting great service. Um, but that winger play needs to be better, and I think Garnacho has been pretty good. All right, C tier, Ethan, take it away. Uh, yeah. So C tier, I'll start with the two teams that you put in your D tier. I'll just comment on them: Brighton and United. I have both of them in the C tier. Um, both of them are kind of in my C tier for one win each. Uh, Brighton yeah. for their win against Spurs. I think the scoreline doesn't really do it justice. They kind of fell apart in the end and can see the two goals and came under a lot of pressure. Yeah. But the first 70 minutes of that game was just world-class from Brighton. They just absolutely picked apart Spurs. They also played really well against West Ham, but just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. But it was a really dominant performance. And I think Brighton are towards the higher end of my C tier for that reason, just because they've been playing well, even if they haven't quite gotten as many wins as they maybe should. And then United is just there because the... The win against Villa was just such, not that it was that important in terms of like the grand scheme of the mm. season, but just so morale boosting, coming back from 2-0 mm. down, scoring three goals, Hoyland getting his first goal. Hoyland, yeah. Like, they just absolutely needed that. And it almost felt like everything wasn't shit for them for just a couple <laughs> days in there. But for the most part, it is. But I think it salvaged a C-tier ranking for them, so... That's all I have to say about those. As for the rest of my C tier, um, I have Burnley in there. Um, only one win from three, but they did beat Fulham, which they probably weren't expected to win. And then they lost to Villa and Liverpool, games they would expect to lose. So overall, C tier seems probably very fair because they probably did more than they were expected to do based off of those three games. So couldn't really, you couldn't really ask for more from that. Fulham, another team that's in the C tier for one win against uh, Arsenal. Other than that, they lost the other two games. Didn't really play that well. To be honest, they didn't even play that well against Arsenal, but they just put the ball in the net twice and you know got the job done. So for me, enough to get them into the C tier. And then to wrap it up, we have none other than Crystal Palace. Where else would they be other than the C tier? <laughs> uh, just the most mid team in the league doing mid things four points from nine a win a draw a loss there's really not much more to say they have Eze they have Elise they're exciting but other than that Palace okay. are just painfully average yep uh, C tier I have Villa Fulham and Burnley um, that draw to Sheffield at home is inexcusable it just you can't do that, especially on the run they were on. They just, you can't do that. Um, the United loss was also not good. United is not playing well. Was it a moment of re- resilience for United? And should we credit United? Yes. But Villa, on the form they were on, should never let that happen. Oh, yeah. I, for- I, I forgot to mention, I do also have Villa in my uh, seats here. I didn't see that. They're on the next uh, page. But, yeah. Sure. Villa are um, seats here. Yeah. Uh, I'll speak for you, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the other two games were wins, which is what gets them into the C tier, but that Sheffield and United performance dropped them down, Peg. And in a top four race that's going to be tight the rest of the way, those are tough points to drop. And yeah, drawing Sheffield at home is just two points you are dropping on every single other Big Six team. So that kind of sucks. Fulham, they beat Arsenal away. Didn't score in, and didn't score in the pregames prior, though. Zero 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 in those games. 
um, all losses. The Arsenal result very good, but especially coming off those two five nils, were those one offs? I guess you could say yes at this point, but that's ten goals in two games. You're you're clicking offensively, and then you don't score for three games. That's that's odd. And if I'm, if I'm gonna hold them to a standard of, hey, they currently they clearly have some attacking talent. This is kind of a poor window. I C is, you know, I think B for me is average. So C is just below average. Yes, they got the Arsenal win away, but they should be performing better in at least one of the three games. And they were pretty shitty performances. And then Burnley, three losses from four. Um, three of those were Villa, Liverpool, and Everton. So, again, not the end of the world. And Burnley, I guess we're holding to this relegation threatened standard now. Um, they got one of the, one of those was a win. So in a relegation battle, it's better than nothing. Um, but it's nice to get those games out of the way, Villa and Liverpool specifically. And now they can go into some more manageable games with an open mindset, hopefully. B tier, Ethan, what do you got? So, uh, again, I'll start from the best team in the B tier. And for me, that is Luton. Um, Luton had a string of really, really good performances at home against Arsenal and uh, City where they didn't manage to pick up any points despite their really good performances. But against Newcastle, they finally did get all three points in a 1-0 win. And then they followed that up by a scrappy win at Sheffield United, but a win nonetheless. And back-to-back wins in a relegation battle is absolutely huge. Uh, They lost the following game against... Chelsea, um, but still a really, really good festive fixture period. Probably unlucky not even to be A tier, to be honest. Luton. Two wins from three is very good for them. But uh, they're going top of the B. And then behind them, I have Bournemouth, who are still one of the most informed teams in the league right now. Um, they only failed to beat Spurs and Aston Villa in their last eight games. But since we're looking at just the festive fixtures, um, they did lose to Spurs uh, at the end of that run. So came away with two wins from three during that period. So still very good and still some great wins in there. But because of the loss, I did have to downgrade them to B. Uh, but they look really good right now. They are finally clicking under uh, Iriola. Solanke is arguably the hottest striker in the league right now. So... Yeah. You know, a tough loss to a good Spurs team away from home. But other than that, everything is going right for them. And then also in my B tier, I have Manchester City. Seven points out of nine. Probably should be an A tier, but the draw to Crystal Palace at home was just, frankly, embarrassing. And I think that's kind of why they've been downgraded to the B tier. The other two teams they beat were Everton and Sheffield United. So it's not like they had any really impressive wins in there. Yeah. So. For me, not enough to put them in the A. Uh, following that is Spurs. Uh, nothing particularly impressive about Spurs during the festive fixtures, but they got two wins from three, which in my eyes is enough for the B tier. And they have Richarlison uh, finding the net consistently, which is a huge W for Spurs and Ange Postacoglu. And then rounding out the B tier is Chelsea. Two wins from three. With wins versus Luton and Palace, the they lost to Wolves, I believe, at the beginning of the festive fixtures. So two wins from three, 
in my eyes, enough for the B tier, but they weren't that impressive other than maybe against Luton, although they did kind of fall apart at the end. But they took care of business, so B tier. Yeah, I also have City and Chelsea in my B tier. Did you have Forest in the B tier? Forest, I do not have in the B tier. Okay, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I think, well, Forest is the one I, that we disagree on. Yeah, I have him in the B tier. Beating Newcastle and United, losing to Spurs and Bournemouth. All in all, decently good for Forest team. I mean, if it's 50-50 losses to wins on the season, that's, that's a win for them. Um, but, yeah, all in all, it could definitely be worse. Could have maybe got a result against Bournemouth, but yeah, for their form, solid, solid B. Could definitely be moved up to A, but my A tier is pretty crowded right now, so I moved them down to B. Um, and then City and Chelsea are my other two. City, that draw to Palace is just simply inexcusable. So undisciplined. Just terrible, terrible dropping of points. Um, other than that, very solid. I think if they won all of them, they probably still don't get into the S tier. It's probably just A. But um, yeah, that those dropping of points. Honestly, you could drop them down to C tier for just dropping that game because that was that was terrible, just really inexcusable. Just giving Palace like six minutes of opportunity to win the game and you fumble it. It's like you can't do that. Um, but yeah, just holding them to that standard. It's just you can't let that happen. Um, and then Chelsea, three wins in the last four is pretty good, but they were all relatively unimpressive. With I mean, for Chelsea, they have had some bad losses so i guess when they beat the teams that they would otherwise that would otherwise be bad losses they should be commended however they all are relatively mediocre teams and getting through wins from four should be expected which is why they're sitting in the b tier i have five teams in my a tier oh so okay. maybe i should go for <laughs> go ahead um so the first one is liverpool um draw united was not good they should have put that game away um, and the draw to Arsenal, <clears throat> the draw to Arsenal also fine. I mean, Arsenal at the time were playing very well. Um, I'm sure if they played them at the end of the festive fixture, they probably would have got a win, honestly. Um, but a draw is fine. Uh, the other ones were wins and wins that they looked really, really good in. So, um, not just for the results, but also mainly for the, the eye test, really, uh, Liverpool are in the A tier. I think they look really good, and they'll continue rolling well into the new year. Uh, second, I have Spurs, three wins from four. Um, I'm putting them in the A because I think, well, to me at least, once they lost Madison and Vandeveen, two central figures to their team, it was really about just staying in that top four race until they can get them back. And this run of fixtures has been really good, three wins from four. Once they lost Madison, their form dropped significantly. They have since regained a lot of that form. They're also passing the eye test. They look much better than they did when they just lost Madison. So they've gotten better, and they're going to get Madison Vandeveen. I think Vandeveen's even back in training. Um, Is he? Could be. Yeah, I think I, I could be. That could be some false news, but I thought I saw somewhere he's back. Madison is still a couple of weeks away at least, but um, yeah, it's really just stemming the tide until they can get those guys back, and I think they're doing that really well, so I put them in A. Third is Wolves. Wolves. Three wins in a row, uh, and getting Pedro Neto back on really good form. They're gonna roll right into the new year. It's gonna be, uh, I think it's gonna be a pretty good rest of the year for them. They should finish around mid table, but yeah, they 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 got the job done. I have it in the A tier. Um, Palace only one win, but their draws were City and Brighton. They lost to Chelsea, and then they beat Brentford. 
Plus, they got Elise back. I think for Palace team that's been not so great this year, that's that's a pretty good set of run uh, run of games. I, I would put. I know you had them in C tier. Uh, I'm giving them a lot more credit for that because I think getting Elise back and the performances they were just better. So uh, I think they just they're deserving of an A tier. Maybe you flip flop Forest and Palace, but I'm sticking with what I have. And lastly, Luton. Uh, two wins, two losses as a relegation threatened team is S tier almost. I was about to put them in the S tier, but I dropped it just slightly in the A tier. Two wins from four is pretty good for a team that's not that talented and is going to be fighting for the rest of the games to stay alive. They're fighting for 17. That's all they're fighting for. And two wins from four is pretty damn good. So A tier for Luton. S tier. Last and certainly not least, what do you got? Uh, so for my S tier, just one team, and that is uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, I think just the disparity with our list is ca- kind of down to the fact that you have four games that you have qualifying as festive fixtures, while yeah. I only have three. Yeah. So since I only have the previous three Premier League match weeks uh, in my you know festive fixture consideration, Wolves are the only team who have won all three of those games. Uh, yeah. It's just starting to rain goals for them. It really is. Uh, they beat Chelsea at home. Then they beat Everton away. Or I think that was the most recent performance was um, Everton at home they beat. And then they yeah. also beat Brentford away 4-1. Um, not the most difficult of fixtures. Uh, the Chelsea victory was pretty impressive. But, mm-hmm. I mean... Huang Chan continuing his great form this season. Uh, Mateus Cunha is put in the Player of the Month-worthy performance in December. Yeah. He got a nomination. Uh, Pedro Neto is also working his way back into the starting 11. He came mm-hmm. off the bench uh, against Everton. So everything is just coming up Wolves right now. Gary O'Neill doing a fantastic job there. You know, once again, we'll say that expectations for them this season were not high. But mm-hmm. Gary O'Neill proving himself as a great Premier League manager after being cut yeah. loose by Bournemouth. Uh, so yeah, Wolves sitting lonely at the top in the S tier for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, man, I think that they were definitely worthy of S tier. Um, I have been A, but yeah, I, I had them in relegation zone, and I think they're well clear of that uh, by now. At, barring some unforeseen circumstances i think we can safely say that they are especially with the teams down there they're all right for now uh i have two teams in the s tier one is west ham who not only have three wins in four but have not conceded a single goal in four games after getting molly whopped by fulham they have not conceded a single goal in four games and that is testament to just how good they've been um arsenal was one of those games uh, it it's just been really good, and even watching that Arsenal West Ham game, they're clearly have a really good sense of who they are identity wise, and they do what they do best very well, which is just to play a tight, rigid defensive system and just spring Bowen and Antonio and Ben Rama, all, all those guys on the counterattack. Kudus, who's unfortunately leaving for Afcon, um. All Kudus has been fantastic over the festive, yeah. festive fixture. I'm surprised you didn't mention him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's they spring all these guys on the counter and they're really good. Jared Bowen 
does not get the credit he deserves for what he does for this team. He not only does he score goals and get assists, but he holds the ball up so well on this counterattack. He's really good. He, he it's very tough to take the ball off of him. I th- I'm surprised that uh Big Six team hasn't come in and swooped him because he's he's been really good over the last few seasons. He's been good, but <clears throat> specifically recently. Um, and then Bournemouth three wins in their last four. I would like to say Bournemouth on paper are just terrible. And what they've been doing, Dominic Solanke's found his form from nowhere. Dominic Solanke, we don't have enough time to go through Dominic Solanke's like career lore. <laughs> like he's, you think he's like 23, he's like 27. Like he's just been through the ranks at, at uh, Liverpool, sold to Bournemouth. He was loaned somewhere. Like he, I think it was, he was probably, I think he was at what, Norwich at one point? I could be completely off there. But he was somewhere in the championship. Yeah. He he needed to the resilience he's had in the Premier League, a league that has chewed him up and spit him out year after year after year to come and lead this Bournemouth team to three wins in their last four. He is on incredible form. And now he's now Arsenal are looking at him. Now he's looking at a big money transfer out of nowhere. So all credit to Dominic Solanke. He's been great. The whole team's been really good. This team on paper sucks. There's no one like this team. It's we're looking at like Marco Senesi. Like these are the player. Philip Billing. Philip Billing was on my Bournemouth career mode back in like <laughs> FIFA 15, and that guy's still around. Like they, he's still good though. I think he's. Guys, I think he's a very yeah, no, underrated he's really good. player. <laughs> yeah, he like this team just from like they're like the Mighty Ducks. They just like <laughs> suck on paper, but through some dark magic, they are. They got three wins in their last four games. Four wins in their last last five. They're sitting twelfth, and they they're like laughably relegation level, and they are just cruising and looking good doing it. Good for Bournemouth. They're in the S tier. Fantastic festive, festive picture period. And that is just about it for the festive fixture tier list. I'll round all these out and put them on Instagram so you can see the whole list. But yeah. It's these are trying times for Premier League teams, and some performed much better than others. We'll just say that. And finally, to round out the podcast this week, a little something that came up organically with me and Ethan over the last week and a half. Uh, it started with a debate, which is actually the first one here that that yeah. we're actually going to have on the podcast. I figured might as well. <laughs> um, we. Uh, it was. It started when me and Ethan. I'll get to the two players in a second, but I don't. I don't even know what even came of it. Maybe it was like we saw Neymar got injured again or something like that. Um, I'm trying. And then, if you give me a minute, I'll think of it. Okay. I'll let you explain. But though. however it happened, on a boat to Alcatraz Island over last week, we, I said, that Unhealthy Maria was in the same tier as Neymar. To which Ethan had oh, yeah. some issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> many, many um, issues. And I still stand by that. Is I never said Angel Di Maria is better than Neymar. Neymar is a better soccer player than Angel Di Maria. However, Angel Di Maria, I said Angel Di Maria was underrated and deserves to be in the same tier of footballer as Neymar. And Ethan said no. And then I posed. So, pause that story. Here's a segment. The segment is renaming two players and debating who's better. That's it. That's the whole segment. Um, I have five, so we're gonna, we can't, we can't dilly dally. I have five mm. of these. We need to just get our points in and move on. Um, re unpause the story. Then I said, which will be our first debate. 
Angel Di Maria or Ian Robin? To which Ethan said, Ian Robin. And I said, Angel Di Maria. Ethan, would you like to give your two cents? Yeah, I just think that with Angel Di Maria, Angel Di Maria is historically an underrated player. But since the World Cup, he's no longer become an underrated player. If anything, he's almost become overrated. Because like some of the some of the some of the places I'm seeing him put in terms of like all time player list. First of all, Di Maria shouldn't be in an all time like player ranking list. I've I've seen Di Maria in the top twenty of all time players, which is absolutely that, that's insane. silly. Yes, that is silly. But I just think that there is so much recency bias with Di Maria because of the World Cup, and he had a great World Cup. Obviously, he was crucial in that final, and then people started looking back and saying, "Oh wow, he's actually been clutch for Argentina like his entire career." He's yeah. actually just been really consistent his entire career, mm. which he has been. And Dean Marie is a fantastic player. But Iron Robin was, has had that same consistently, consistency throughout his career, but I just feel like was just a tier above in terms of his goal-scoring output. Um, I mean, let's not forget Iron Robin scored the Champions League final winning goal in the 89th minute. So Iron Robin also had a bit of a clutch gene as well. So, okay. And... I know Iron Robert, you know, retired a couple of years ago, and it's been a while since he was in his prime, but just think of just how many beautiful, glorious goals he's had, just cutting onto that left foot and curling at far corner. He was just such a consistent goal scorer in his prime. He helped take uh, Netherlands team to the World Cup final. Uh, he's, he's just a fantastic player, and in his prime, just unstoppable. Di Maria in his prime was a fantastic player, but never at the kind of unstoppable level that Iron Robin was at. See, that's where I disagree. That's, that's where I'll stand my ground. It's because Di Maria was at that unstoppable level. He, he is one of the best dribblers I've seen at, in, a, in a football jersey ever. He is, that, he is incredibly good at dribbling to the point where he almost doesn't get to do it enough because he gets double teamed and triple teamed and defenders just have to back up to the point where it makes no sense and he has to pass it now. And that's how he gets all his assists, pretty much. And that, that it's just, just you've been doing that forever. It's Iron Robin also to give his blood. It's incredibly good footballer. He has I've seen all too much of Iron Robin as an Arsenal fan because he has tormented Arsenal <laughs> on numerous occasions and brutally, just brutally as well. So I have seen probably more of Iron Robin than I've seen of Di Maria just in my youth. However, I think Di Maria it's very close. Splitting hairs really are splitting hairs. But I, don't think I think it Di Maria is like <laughs> a cut, a cut above. If a, I said when when we were having this debate before, I said if every player's in their prime and I'm building a team like fantasy draft style, I would draft Di Maria over Ian Robin. For my prime, team. prime Di Maria over prime Robin. Yes, correct. I think is I, I think that's prime Maria over prime. I think over okay. their careers, the gap between Robin and Di Maria is smaller than their primes. I think prime Robin is in like another tier prime robin's up there with like prime like neymar like prime robin is unstoppable unstoppable what, what are you gonna do against prime robin he cuts on his left he curls it top it's that simple you're gonna you're gonna force him right is what you're gonna do <laughs> doesn't matter it doesn't matter I, I, i'm standing my ground on this one i, I don't get it i also think the maria is a we, we, little since we already more had this versatile argument. in terms so. of uh playmaking that that i can maybe understand but in terms of just like you know, final output. Like the goal in terms of goal scoring, I don't think it's anywhere close. I, yeah, I think Ayn Rahm's a better goal scorer. I think Angel Di Maria is a better playmaker. Yes, but like Di Maria is like 
a decently better playmaker than Robin, and then Robin is like miles ahead in terms of goal scoring. Di Maria. I don't know. I don't think Maria's had some bangers too. I don't. I, oh, of course he has. He absolutely has. Yeah. Di Maria can fucking hit him. Like, <laughs> but so can Robin. Yeah. <laughs> There's gonna be no winner, so we have to move on. All right. I said we couldn't dilly dally, and we've already dilly dallied. <laughs> Um, on a on a debate we've already had, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> next one up, Luis Suarez, Robert Lewandowski. You want to say on three? Sure. One, two, three. Suarez. Suarez. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're in agreement on this one. You want to go right. ahead? Yeah, yeah. I just think Suarez just his prime was just a bit longer than it was. A bit longer and just a bit better than Lewandowski. It's not a huge gap, in my opinion. It's mm-hmm. not massive. Yeah, no, they're pretty close. It's not a huge gap, but I think it is definitive because I think it's really hard to find an argument for Lewandowski over Suarez just because Suarez just achieved so much in Barcelona. Just mm-hmm. the number of goals he scored. Um, you know, the seasons he had at Liverpool, I mean, that 13 14 season at Liverpool were just, yeah. just look at like, you just got to look at the highlights. Like this, yeah. no, like he's not—he's not just a goal scorer. This guy's just actually so so good. And Lewandowski yeah. is a fantastic player too, but he is more of a pure goal scorer than Suarez because Suarez just—he's so skillful. Like he has such a deftness of touch. Like his goal yeah. catalog is just greater than that of Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. Like he—he's just yeah. such a fun player to watch. He really is. Yeah, Lewandowski's goals to game ratio is probably better. Like, I don't know what it is, but it's probably slightly better than Suarez just because... No, in the Champions Lewandowski, League, Lewandowski blows Suarez out of the water. Like, it's yeah, not even close. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'm just, like, like goals to games for club, country, whatever you want to call it. Like, Lewandowski, one better penalty taker. What Also, Suarez did not take penalties for Barcelona. That mm-hmm. was primarily the Argentinian guy. Um, but Lewandowski was incredible penalty taker. Ridiculous penalty record. Um, literally never misses. Um, Better in the air, taller, but Suarez is just like, yeah, that, I mean, it started, that Liverpool season, like, he was like, what, 25 when he had that Liverpool season, and then Something he like went that. to Barcelona, um, and was part of the greatest front three in the history of the game, like, yeah, and it wasn't just because he was playing with Messi, that was because he is genuinely just an intelligent player, he always knows where to be, like, you said, like, first touch is incredible, like, both feet, too, like, yeah. Uh, Suarez, very close. Lewandowski probably has him in goals to games, but I think Suarez is just a, a cut above slightly. Yeah. Eden Hazard or Gareth Bale on three. All right. Like, you want to take a second, second to think about it or no? I thought about it for a second, but I have my answer. Okay. Three, two, one. Bale. Hazard. Oh. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, I just think what you just can't. In terms of the players themselves, it is very, very close. Yeah. But I just don't think you can look past what Bale achieved at Real Madrid and how good he was there. And even, and even when Bale was going through, you know, his rougher stints at Real Madrid, like, look at 20, 2018, he wasn't even, you know, that huge a factor for Real Madrid. And he still scored two in the Champions League final, including a bicycle kick. Yeah, like and yeah. that and that was at like the down points of his career and at yeah. the peak points of his career and his best years at Real Madrid, he was just absolutely fantastic. Again, was part of a huge front three with uh, Ronaldo and Benzema. 
And then let's not look past his Tottenham days too, where he was just an absolute phenom, a sensation. Yeah. Um, you know, PFA player of the year winner. Uh, so was Hazard, to be fair. Uh, mm. But yeah, I think in terms of the players themselves, it is neck and neck. But yeah. in terms of what they've achieved, I don't think you could say that Hazard is better than Bale in that respect. Yeah. I think it's just too well, much. Yeah. Well, Hazard was the guy for Chelsea. And their success was almost entirely due to him. And, you know, Trogba was there too, but uh, content for the back end of it. But uh, Bale, Spurs, obviously just like Wonder Boy, everything, like the kid. And then Madrid, I'm not to discredit what he did in Madrid, like the fastest player on the planet, like literally unstoppable 1v1. If, he, if your defense was playing a high line, he would just blow past it, like by himself. Um, Hazard did not have that in his locker. However, Hazard is one of the best dribblers I've ever seen. And the way he can shift his body is not real. I remember the goal against West Ham where he kind of just like cut through the yeah. middle. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like that is, when you talk about goals that you don't understand, that's one of them. I genuinely don't, like I would have torn my ACL three times on that play, just cutting <laughs> back and forth. And he, like, and he finished on the end of that, like, I think, here's what I'll say. Again, splitting hairs. I think Bale was better for longer. However, Eden Hazard's peak, like two, three, two seasons, were top Bale's peak seasons. Just because he was that effing good. And he was the guy. It was, that's who they looked to. You know, 15 goals, 15 assists a season minimum uh, in all comps. He was, he was that dude. And in the Premier League too, I think, that era of the Premier League was tougher to score in than that era of La Liga. So that's why I'm edging. I'm edging in general. But Pause. I'm edging. <laughs> but I'm edging Hazard over Bale. That's my logic. Uh, I, I understand the argument. I understand the argument. And I also agree that it is splitting hairs. It is very tough. Yeah. Um, honestly, both players careers probably ended on a bit of the earlier time. I mean, Hazard, you know, already retired at the age of 32. Bale retired at, what, he was only like 33, 34? Mm-hmm. Maybe wasn't wasn't too old either. Well, that's, that's also why you can make the case for Bale, because Hazard, after he left Chelsea, uh-huh. which was, he was left in his prime, he was still producing 30-plus yeah. goals in his seasons, just dropped off the face of the earth, was mm-hmm. completely useless. Yeah. And Bale, even when he came back to Spurs, was still useful mm-hmm. um, on loan there. So, yeah, his, his longevity, I would give it to Bale, even though he did have a ton of injuries, too. At Hazard, too, but Bale also had a ton of yeah. injuries. Um, but, yeah, Hazard, like, completely dropped off the face of the earth after he uh, left Chelsea, which was at, like, 31. So, mm. could even be younger, but, yeah. Yeah, pro- probably, like, 30, if you really think. If he's 30, yeah. he's, like, 32 now, then, yeah. Yeah. All right. Second to last one. A goalkeeper one. Jean-Luigi Buffon or Manuel Neuer? Oh, that's tough. It's, 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 I, I don't know if you could be right or wrong with this one, just because goalkeepers are, it's very tough to, like, they, they have good moments, they have bad moments, like, just give me your best shot on three. All right. One, two, three, Manuel Neuer. Neuer. All right. Okay. We're on the same page. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Um... Yeah, again, this one's absolutely splitting hairs. Both 
you know, insane longevity, both World Cup winners, both dominating in their respective leagues, Buffon with Juve, Neuer with Bayern. It really is splitting hairs, but I just think that Neuer, Neuer's prime, and again, it's hard because, you know, I wasn't around for Buffon's prime, but Neuer's prime, like that 2014 World Cup, like him basically like inventing, like not, not necessarily inventing the sweeper keeper, but like perfecting the sweeper keeper role. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he really, he kind of revolutionized goalkeeping sort of in that sense with yeah. how high he played, you know, again, sweeper keeper, you know, he, he coined the term. Uh, and he was, he was just so good in his prime. Like it was, he was third in the Ballon d'Or rankings, you know, for yeah. a goalkeeper. It was really Pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how high, the highest Buffon's ever been. I'm sure in 2006, he was pretty far up there. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I probably am a little bit more biased just because Neuer is a bit closer to my time. Yeah. But I just, I think Neuer just gets the edge. I think Buffon, I don't want to say Buffon is overrated, but I think people overrate Buffon slightly just because he was just like around for so long. Like yeah. his later years, like he it wasn't like he was really at the top. Like he was a decent goalkeeper, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like he was you know sticking around as one of like as like a top ten keeper in the world for the last like three four years of his career. Like he was just like playing, and I think people just like the fact that Buffon was still around at like forty five, and I think mm-hmm. just like overrating <laughs> him slightly because of that. It's still splitting hairs, but it's just you know I, I'm nitpicking, but I gotta find a reason to favor Neuer. Yeah. For me, it's, I mean, no disrespect to Gianluigi Buffon, absolute legend, probably top five keeper ever, but Manuel Neuer is, like, might be the best keeper ever. Like, I don't know, I've never seen Levy Ashen play, but I think, I think Manuel Neuer's gotta be in that tier. Um, yeah, he, like, the keeper that is good with his feet, the Allison, the Ederson, that started with, with, yeah. like, that, mm-hmm. that, he, Essentially, they he was the first keeper I've ever seen where they kind of based their style of play around, not around their keeper, but with their keeper in mind. Mm-hmm. Because they play that high line because they knew they had Neuer, who was, like, the fastest keeper in the world, speed-wise, and it's not even mm-hmm. close. Like, it was ridiculous. Um, His, like, 40 time was crazy. And that made him a, a, able to not be completely cheating and also get to all these and basically neutralize the long ball which if you played in that team that era of Bayern Munich that was you were getting pressured a lot it didn't matter who you were that was the Ribberies the Robins like the Mullers the Philip Loms the Schweinsteigers like you you were pinned in a lot and that was the avenue was over the top especially for like the Aubameyangs of the world um who love that pacey over over the top ball and he would just neutralize that completely because he was so quick. And not only that, you could comfortably play back to him because he was that good with his feet. He could probably slip into midfield if he wanted to. And on top of that, his reaction time was incredible. Like he, his like close quarters saves, you know, the long shots, he's like, he's not the tallest keeper. It's not like Courtois mm-hmm. where you can make these like fingertip saves on, you know, 30 yard screamers that would otherwise be worldies. That like those like close quarters like headers from inside Mm. the six. There was nobody better than he was, and just I remember one save. He uh, I think it was Arsenal at home 
in the yeah the against stage. The, the Walcott header. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like mm-hmm. one of the I best saves that. I've ever seen. Incredible save, and that on top of the fact that he is incredible with his feet and so quick off his line, basically redefining the position, like you said. Yeah, for me, it's a lot. The the gap is a little bit bigger than people say. Obviously, Buffon mm-hmm. legend, but Neuer he he was he was that yeah. good. Seriously, that good. Yeah. Did you want to say something or are we moving on? Yeah, no. I just wanted to add the uh, final anecdote uh, for Neuer, which is that he took the third penalty in the Champions League final and <laughs> scored it. Like, yeah. I'm not saying that's a career defining moment. I mean, he lost the shootout, but yeah. Like, what, what, other, key, what other keeper is stepping <laughs> up in one of the first yeah. five of a penalty shootout in the Champions League Seriously. final? Seriously. Like, for that team, too. Like, yeah. Ridiculous. Um, all right. Last one. Antoine Griezmann versus Alexi Sanchez. All right, yeah. Three, two, one. Griezmann. Antoine Griezmann. Okay. Yeah, personally. Is this one clear cut for you? Yeah, this one's clear cut for me. Alexis Sanchez, fantastic player. And honestly, it was like a week ago, I like rewatched like every one of his like Arsenal goals. And I was just like, yeah. wow, I forgot how good this guy was. Like, he was just so, so good in his prime. But in terms of longevity, he doesn't touch Griezmann. Alexis Sanchez's prime is probably better than Griezmann. Mm -hmm. But Alexis Sanchez is, you know, I wouldn't even say prime. I'd say Alexis Sanchez's years, you know, being like one of, you know, in the elite tier of players probably lasted maybe like four years as like an elite yeah. player four or five years five years tops mm-hmm. Griezmann's yeah. been doing it for oh, much much longer yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean Griezmann has uh, a World Cup to his name uh, I mean not necessarily the fault of Sanchez he plays for Chile although you know Sanchez yeah. does have two Copa Americas to his name so he does deserve tremendous yeah. credit for that <laughs> um, but yeah I mean what, what Griezmann is doing like right now like even when it looked like his career was starting to tail off a bit now Griezmann has just had this resurgence like he looks mm-hmm. fantastic uh, you yeah. know and he's in like a new newer role where now he's like a bit more of a playmaker and he's he's been just so so good I mean at this most recent World Cup for France he was such a big part of the reason they got to the final I mean obviously Mbappe you know dragged him kicking and screaming there yeah. but yeah, that was that was a really depleted France team. If you really look at it, they were missing yeah. so many key players. Um, you know, no Benzema, Benzema. no Nkunku, yeah. you know, no Conte, no Pogba. Like they were really missing so many key pieces, and then Griezmann just stepped up as a more creative player and was kind of just like an everything player for them. And he was just so good. Yeah. And yeah, he was good for years at Atleti. He wasn't great at Barca, but not bad either. And then once he's mm-hmm. come back to Athletic, he's been fantastic. And he probably still has a couple good more a couple more good years left in him. So for me, Sanchez, fantastic player, but he doesn't touch Griezmann. Yeah, I that's probably a fair assessment. I mean, Alexis Sanchez, I might have watched the same video as you, but I watched it a while <laughs> ago. Um Yeah, that Alexis Sanchez, especially from an Arsenal fan, having watched basically every kick of his fo- of the football he had for Arsenal for his entire prime, he was like Eden Hazard tier good for that period. He mm-hmm. was. It wasn't just his goal scoring, which was good. It was 
every single time he picked up the ball, it was like progressive and positive. And like he never like even when he lost the ball, he's like industrious and worked back. Like he yeah, won headers too. Worker. He's super very athletic. Yeah. Super he won headers for Arsenal, even when the with Giroux in the box. Like they he was him and Giroux linked up so well. Ozil was there for a period of time. That Alexis Sanchez, the year the Leicester year sticks out to me specifically. Because that that offense wasn't like Ozil is good, but he's good when he gets players service. And then Giroux is Giroux. He's not gonna really he's not like a Wayne Rooney. He's not gonna like spearhead your offense. Um he's a great glue guy. And we also talked about Giroux, uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where I said he was pretty good. And he's a great glue guy. And if you need a striker, look, I think Giroux would fit in not today's Giroux, but twenty sixteen Giroux would fit in really good with Arsenal's team right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um he's just one of those guys that gets the job done. Not talking about Giroud, though. Talking about Alexis Sanchez. And Alexis Sanchez was genuinely just technique and uh, calm and just his presence on the ball. It was like, feed Alexis and the rest will figure it out. That's how good he was for that period of time. However, Antoine Griezmann, again, longevity, it's not even close. Alexis Sanchez, as soon as he stepped foot on the Manchester United training ground, <laughs> pretty much his career dropped off a cliff. Um as soon as and he started playing since, piano in that, uh, yeah, <laughs> in that announcing video, oh. it was over. Yeah, uh, and that was that was a tough day for me. And look, I'm never rooting against Alexis Sanchez. Same re- reason I don't root against uh, Robin Van Persie, even though he left for United. Just legends for our club and did all they could really. Um, made some poor decisions. And that was that was it. Robin Van Persie didn't make a poor decision. It was actually the right decision, but uh, Sanchez was a poor one. Uh, but Griezmann, yeah, Griezmann's longevity has been insane. He was, he was that good at like 22 when he came up for Atleti. He was a striker then, then moved to wing, then moved to cam, then moved to the other wing, then moved back to striker, then false nine. Like he, his, there are some players that just can't move off of right wing. Like you take Mo Salah, fantastic player, put him at striker, wouldn't work. Put him at left wing, wouldn't work. He needs that right wing. He needs to cut onto his left. Griezmann, however, can play right wing, cut on, can play left wing, and you know, still do business there. Can hang on the shoulder as a striker. Can, like you said, play underneath. And for France, for Atleti, Barcelona wasn't fantastic, but yeah, for he has a World Cup to his name, which he was silver ball, golden, right? Silver ball in the, I think. In the world, not golden yeah, ball, but at, yeah, uh, golden ball was moderate. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's his longevity, and he's still again doing it to this day. So yeah, can't. For a second, I was like, ah, my Arsenal bias just crept in. I was like, Alexis Sanchez though. But uh, no, Griezmann is Griezmann has been that guy for a while, and that just about does it for the festive fixture megapod. Uh, you'll hear from us next week, I believe. We have. Oh, you know, what we forgot to do. We forgot to do a match prediction. I believe. <laughs> Oh yeah. We'll squeak it in here at the end. It is Manchester United versus Spurs at Old Trafford. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, we're already running a bit long, so I'll be quick. <laughs> um I'm not really too sure what to expect from this game, but it'd probably be fair to expect a United loss. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go two one Spurs. Team yeah. over and her off the bench scores the winner. <laughs> sure. If he's even signed by then. <laughs> 
I don't know. They move pretty quickly. Werner's like itching to get back in the Premier League for some reason. Um, yeah, I. Every time I've predicted United to lose, I feel like they've got a result. So I'm gonna hedge my bet here. I'm gonna say two two. All right. Um, I think United get a point. Um, and with that, we will round out the podcast for this week. Uh, match week twenty one, I believe, coming up next week. Um, you will hear from us in a week. No more, no more fixture congestion. Actually, no. Next week is a is a pretty light slate, right? Yeah, I think it's only like five games, maybe four games, yeah. five games. And with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See you.